Anybody eat too much at Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. All right, all right. Anybody have anything other than turkey? Just shout it out. What'd you have? Nobody's that. Nobody's passionate about anything. <laughs> People aren't going to get corona if you just speak. I promise. Uh, anybody? Anybody have anything besides turkey? Chicken, chicken wings. Wow, that's very, very untraditional. Uh, well, it's kind of fun to get to know a little bit about the people sitting around you, and so we're going to do a quick poll. Uh, all you have to do is raise your hand, I promise. That's, that's, you know, we're not going to make you any more uncomfortable than that. Uh, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about Christmas? Uh, and so uh, we're just going to kind of run through. I'll give you different categories here. So uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about Christmas? One is like you're not into it at all. It is not your thing. Kind of raise your hand. Anybody, anybody willing to say that they fit in that category? Okay, a couple, a couple people. So two to five, you're just like, ah, man, take it or leave it, whatever. How many people kind of fall into that category? Anybody? No, but just everybody's either going to hate it or love it. I have a feeling here. Uh, and then, uh, okay, so six to eight, you're like, yeah, I mean, Christmas is cool. Like, I'm into it. It's not my favorite thing, but yeah, I like it a lot. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Okay, there's a few there. And then how many people are like nine or 10? If it was a country, you'd move there. You'd apply for citizenship. Yes, I am. Those are my people. Raise your hand. Okay, everybody raise your hand if you're a nine or a 10. Look around, people. These are the people that love Jesus. The rest of you, for some reason, you don't like the baby Jesus. I don't know why. Um, I'm just, it's just a, it's a character flaw for you. Uh, but I, anybody have someone in their family that's kind of the opposite of them? Like you're like a nine or a 10 and they're like a three or a four? Yes, yes. Like I am all the way. I'm like Santa, I know him, you know, spread Christmas cheer, yes, and my wife is more like uh, Cindy Lou Who in, in uh, The Grinch where she's, you know, singing, where are you Christmas, why can't I find you, you know, that, that is my wife. Uh, but I absolutely love Christmas, and, and, and when you're a kid, is there any other season that's more magical, for most of us, more magical than Christmas? I mean, all the waiting and the hoping and the anticipation, all the excitement about Christmas morning. And, and, and if I'm being honest, I'm not sure that I, I've kind of ever really grown out of that. Uh, but for me, it, it was kind of everything about Christmas. I, I love the way that our house would transform with all the lights and the decorations and the trees. I, I loved all the smells and all the cooking and baking that my mom did sort of all month long. I loved all the extra family and friends that would come around. I loved how people seemed to be a little bit nicer or happier, or at least they tried to be. And if they weren't really into it, like Christmas, we get to call people that aren't in Christmas, we get to call them names. Like we have special names for them, like Scrooge or Grinch or whatever, you know, or cotton-headed ninny muggins or anything. You know, we have all these things that we can call people. But the truth is, Things were far from perfect in our family. Like, like we were, when I was growing up, we were dirt poor and my parents got divorced when I was really young. Things were really complicated and difficult at times, but Christmas just always seemed to be a little bit different because no matter how crazy or complicated life gets, even for us today, everything seems to kind of slow down a little bit and kind of soften around the edges around Christmas time, or, or at least that's that's what we hope for, right? Like that everything's kind of, everything's kind of, you know, coming into focus a little bit. And maybe you can relate to that. And this season is supposed to be the best time of the year. And in so many ways, it actually is. 
But have you ever had a Christmas moment that you kind of planned out and you were really looking forward to and you had kind of built it up in your head, but it just didn't quite live up to, to what you hoped for? It didn't quite live up to the picture that you had in your mind? Well, the last, like, I don't know, 15 plus years, there has been one of those moments every single Christmas in our house. And that is the moment in which I am supposed to build and decorate a gingerbread house with my kids. Um, and in my head, I always see it going one way where it's just fun and they're into it and everybody's listening and happy and it's not frustrating at all. And I don't wanna throw the gingerbread house against the wall and you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but every single year, I, it, it kind of devolves into like, why won't this dumb thing stay together? And, I, and it's like the pre-built house and it won't stay together. You know, and, and I'm yelling at my kids and they're not listening and somebody's crying and it's like super stressful. And it just, it, it ends up being nothing like the way that I imagine it going in my head. And, and, and when that moment crashes for us, right? When, when we have those experience, experiences, it, it kind of sucks the life out of us. It sucks not only the life out of that moment, but, it, but it's so deflating. And now the problem is, of course, is that reality rarely measures up to our imagination. And if we're honest, we get all caught, you know, we, we, we get all caught up in moments and expectations and, and we can get caught in that trap from time to time, right? Where, where we expect something and we imagine it one way, but it just can't live up to that. Right? Like we get caught thinking if we can just get things to, to come together for this one perfect moment and then everything will be okay. And we do it all the time with all sorts of things, but we're particularly prone to doing that at Christmas. It's easy to kind of look at the chaos and the craziness of all of our current circumstances and to think, man, if I can just get the family together and the lights just right and find the perfect tree and if I can find the perfect gift for that perfect person and, and, and we may not think it, but, but so often we act like if we could just somehow recreate some fake scene from our favorite Christmas movie that we saw when we were a kid with the real people in our lives that are nothing like those people in the movie, that, that somehow there will be enough magic in that one moment to sort of make the whole year feel like it was worthwhile. And, and maybe we do, we're more prone to that this year than ever before. People are searching everywhere for those Advent themes of hope and peace and joy and love both for themselves and for those that they love. And the truth is that many of us tend to put a lot of expectations on Christmas to, to meet some sort of deep desire in us with all of its trappings and traditions and memories and experiences. And there's so much hope and anticipation for what could be. But here's what's crazy. Jesus, on the very first Christmas, Jesus was born into the middle of incredible expectation, incredible hope for the coming Messiah. And yet in spite of all of that expectation, in spite of all of that hope, in spite of all of that anticipation, most people missed it. They missed him. And, and, and I wonder if the same thing doesn't happen to us. In, in all of our longing, and all of our hoping, and all of our expectation, that we somehow miss, miss the only one who can actually bring what our soul longs for most. 
We tend to attach our hopes to all this stuff around Christmas, but not necessarily to the one who's at the center of it all, which, which causes all kinds of problems for us, right? Because, because our hope is only as stable as what it's attached to. And if what it's attached to is super like, you know, given to changing with the, the whims of your children's mood, then your hope is gonna be dashed all the time, right? If our hopes are pinned to just getting the perfect experience with the perfect people in the perfect place, then it's not going to be very, very secure. If your hope is secured to some sort of ideal or a picture of the way things ought to be, and then that ideal is shaken or things don't go that way or they don't turn out that way, then you end up feeling more lost and hopeless than you were before that you even had that experience. And that tension is at the heart of the first Christmas, right? At the time when the classic Christmas story takes place with Mary and Joseph, they didn't know exactly what was coming, but they really, you know, and they weren't thinking these, they weren't thinking these thoughts, but looking back, they really needed their Christmas to be awesome. They really needed the events leading up to and the experience of Jesus being born. They really needed that to all go, like things were not great. Because everything about their life was being turned upside down and was far from ideal, right? Because there's nothing like an unplanned teen pregnancy to just kind of calm everybody down. And in Luke chapter one, Luke is actually records Mary, and you can go read it for yourself, but he actually describes Mary as being confused and disturbed. Some translations actually say that she was greatly troubled. And maybe that's a great description of what life has been like for you this year. Life has been more than a little bit confusing or disturbing, that, there's been, that life has been full of great trouble this year. But there was something that Mary didn't realize as she was moving through that circumstance and that experience in her life. She didn't realize that the very thing that was confusing and disturbing to her was the sign that hope was on its way. And isn't that what God does? Isn't that what he does in our life? That he leverages our most confusing and disturbing and even troubling moments in our lives in surprising ways to actually bring hope to us and to those around us. Now, I'm not sure what it does to you to think through like, the reality of what she was experiencing and what, what she didn't know was coming and where she was at and what God was doing. But when I start to think through that, when I start to reflect on how God moves into our most troubling and most disturbing and most concerning and confusing experiences, and it's in those moments that he meets us with hope, like that actually stops me in my tracks to realize that the thing that would bring hope and life, not only to Mary, but to the whole world was the difficult and unplanned and unexpected journey that she found herself caught up in. And I wonder, I wonder, as all of us have found ourselves caught up in this difficult, unplanned and unexpected journey, if God doesn't wanna meet us in the middle of those experiences. Now in... Mary's case, just like with us, like Mary, she wasn't caught up in that spot because of anything she did. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, this was all God's doing, right? The, the prophet Isaiah says this, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
And those words were actually written 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah wrote those words to a man named Ahaz, who was the king of Judah at the time. And at that point in history, the nation of Israel, just a little bit of sort of background, backstory here for just a second. The nation of Israel was divided into two parts. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was called Judah and its capital was Jerusalem. And they were in the middle of a war and Ahaz was a wicked king. And so the, the people were confused and angry and overwhelmed and troubled and they were, they were just weighted down with despair and they were losing hope and feeling as if God had completely abandoned them. And it's into that experience that Isaiah begins to speak about the coming Messiah, about hope and joy and peace and love and life. There was this collective sort of desperation and hopelessness. And I don't know if you can imagine what it's like to attach your hope to a political outcome or to a way of life, but just try to picture what that, would like, what that would be like for these people. And on top of that, the people of Israel had also attached their hope to a system of religion that was based on the law of Moses, which had this ideal picture of the way things were supposed to be and how you were supposed to live and how the people around you were supposed to live. There was just one glaring problem though. No one could ever live up to it, which created all kinds of tension for them because the, the, the thought of how great things could be you know, if, if everybody could just follow the law, if everybody could just fall into line, if everybody would just do what they're supposed to do, it gave them so much hope. But the reality of trying to live up to that ideal and never being able to get there constantly left them hopeless. And, and, and I, I think that there, there's a part of us that actually does that same thing all the time, that, that we get this rush of hope, right? When, when we think about kind of getting ourselves together and those around us sort of live the way that we think things ought to be. If I could just get my husband to me, be more like, or if we could just get our kids to sort of straighten up, or if, if I could just kind of get my act together and, 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 get, and get this thing done, or if I could just lose this much weight, or if we could move into that, like we, we get caught up in how things are supposed to go. But then the reality of how far away those ideals are shows up and kind of punches us in the face. And then we just kind of fall back into that discouragement and that hopelessness, that sense that, man, we're just stuck. Where's God? Where's hope in this experience? So the people in Israel, in Israel who were trying to live up to that religious system were constantly devastated. And to top it all off, there was, this was the weight of knowing that you were letting God down, of you were disappointing God. After all, it was, it was his law. This, was, this, was, this wasn't just like a bunch of rules for life. This was their religion. This, was, this is his law. H have you ever felt like that? Like, like you were trying, but it just, it feels like God set the bar too high. And just like, God, I don't, I can't, I can't clear that. I can't make that. I can't live up to that. So 700 years go by and Ahaz is long forgotten and Jerusalem and its people had been the doormat for countless nations. And now they're under the thumb of the Roman Empire and there was this pervasive, this overwhelming sense that they had been forgotten by God. And then for some reason that no one knows but God, when the table of history was set just the way he wanted it, God looks at Gabriel and says it's time and he sends the angel to Mary he tells her, you're the one. You know that verse that you've known your whole life? You know the prophecy in, in Isaiah, Mary, you're the one. You're the girl spoken of 
by the prophet Isaiah. Now, I'm not sure how you're supposed to talk to an angel that just told you that you're going to give birth to a son who will be the hope of the world, but I love how Mary responds, Um, and this is the the conversation that she had with the angel. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I'm kind of sarcastic. Anybody else a little bit sarcastic? A few of us? Okay. So I project onto Mary in this situation that she's as sarcastic as I am, right? Because it feels like she's trying to be uh, respectful, but she's like, so how's that going to work? Because I don't know if you know how babies are made, but I'm a virgin. I don't know how that's going to, I don't know how that's going to go. Do you know how that's going to go? I don't, you, I don't know if you know, but, but that's going to be a problem that I'm supposed to have a baby. Here's the truth. Into our reality, into our chaos, into our disappointment, our desperation, our despair, hope breaks in. Because the beautiful reality of Christmas is that heaven always brings hope. In fact, Hope is the very first outcome of Jesus arriving. You would think that if God came to earth, like what would be the first thing that people would sense or feel? We could probably make a, well, they would feel afraid. They would feel judged. There would be a sense of correction. There would be a sense of morality. There would be, whatever you think would arrive at the moment that God arrived was not the thing that arrived. The thing that arrived, the moment that God arrived was hope. The promise that we're not alone, that things can change, that God does move in our lives, that he steps into human history. We're not abandoned. See, the simple message of Jesus coming to earth is that no matter what, there is hope. By the way, it wasn't just Mary that was kind of struggling with what was happening. Her fiance, Joe, he was not really feeling it either. In Matthew chapter one, verse 19 through 23, it says this, it says, because Joseph was her, her husband was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, which is very admirable. Like he was, he was trying to be admirable and honorable. But, but here's what I want you to see, and we're gonna finish reading in just a second, but his attempt to live up to the ideal of the religious law almost caused him to completely miss the most important moment in human history. His attempt to stay aligned with religion almost caused him to completely miss the coming of the Messiah. We often do that, right? Where we hide behind religious pretenses to bail out of situations that are uncomfortable. We we say spiritual things, but really we're just like, I'm uncomfortable and I don't like this and I wanna get out of this. I wanna get out of this as soon as possible and get back to comfortable. And so I'm gonna say things like, I'm gonna pray about it or God just wants me to move on or it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's God. But we have to, you know, like we, we use all kinds of language and all kinds of excuses 
to bail out of uncomfortable situations. And it goes on in verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord. So this, is what he would, this was his plan. He was gonna kind of divorce her, set her off to the side. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. In verse 22, it says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, talk about things not going according to plan. Joseph is freaking out. So God sends an angel to him and the angel shows up and says, dude, relax, put a ring on it. Now that is kind of a paraphrase, uh, but here's the point to all of this. And I don't want you to miss this. God getting into our circumstances with us is better than him bailing us out of our circumstances. God meeting you where you are and meeting you in your circumstances and meeting in you, you and your family and whatever it is that you're experiencing and whatever path you're on, God joining you in that path, God joining you in that circumstance is way more important and way better than him bailing you out or rescuing you. But that, that's what we pray. God, God, if you'll just fix this, if you'll make this go away, if you'll somehow get me out of this jam. And God's going, no, no, no. I'm gonna do something better. I'm gonna meet you in the middle of all of it. And I'm gonna walk with you and you're not gonna be alone. And I'm gonna see you through it. Because he's with you, you can have hope no matter what's going on in your life as you head into this Christmas season. Building your hope on anything other than Jesus, and, and if, you're, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you know this, but I just wanna remind you, building your hope on anything other than Jesus will eventually leave you hopeless. So how do we, how do we start to live that out? Well, the, the first thing is that we just begin by letting go of trying to force all of our life into our ideals. Try, trying to force this Christmas season to rescue a crappy year. And instead, we start, instead of leaning into a season, instead of leaning into people or a holiday or whatever we think is gonna bring us hope and joy and peace and love and happiness, that you can actually lean into the power of God to give you hope for all the imperfect people and all the imperfect places and all the imperfect situations that you're surrounded in this Christmas. And as we do that, we can actually begin to learn to trust God with the big picture of our life one moment at a time. And it doesn't mean that you don't try to make your life or the world better. It doesn't mean that you don't celebrate, of course, but where is your hope? Where are your expectations? What are you leaning on to find joy and meaning and peace and hope and love this Christmas? It, it means that if, if the only thing, and here's the point of all of today, if the only thing God ever changes is you and me, that's more than enough. If the only thing God ever does is change your heart, that's more than enough. If the only thing he ever does is show up and walk with you and change your perspective 
that's more than enough. A few minutes ago, we read from Isaiah chapter 7 when he prophesied and he talked about Jesus being born, you know, 700 years before, you know, it actually happened. And and so in chapter 9, he gives us a glimpse of what was coming with Jesus. But before he does that, he kind of starts describing the state of the world in chapter 8. And he goes into all kinds of detail, and you can go read it if you want. But he sums it up this way in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. He says, wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and despair. Like this is, this is the experience, this is the world that he's talking about, this is the world that, that, that he's describing that Jesus is going to be stepping into. And then he goes into chapter 9, and this is what he says in verse 1. He says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when the dividing of plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. I, I think this is one of the most beautiful and complete descriptions of the impact of Jesus on the world in all of the scriptures, uh, of the, the description of the work that God does in humanity. See, you don't have to know anything about, about the battle of Midian. You don't have to know anything about the particulars of the details that he's talking about. You don't have to know anything about Zebulun or Naphtali. You don't have to know anything about those people and what was going on. You can get the sense between war and famine and disease and heartache and depression and despair and anxiety. Like you don't have to know anything about the particulars of what he's talking about to look around the world and to know that something is profoundly wrong. And that's what he's saying. And he's saying it's into that experience, into that brokenness, into the mess of humanity that a son is given, a child is born. And he will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. We're going we're gonna to be coming back to this section in Isaiah chapter 9 all month long, all the way leading up to Christmas Eve service. But I, I, I wanted to just pull out a couple of things before we end. In verse 1, it says, there will be no more gloom for those, for those who are in distress that, that's, a, that's a description of Jesus. And, and what, what he's saying is when Jesus comes, he, he comes and brings hope to confront despair. See, this is the, one of the ways that you can know who or what you've attached your hope to, whether or not it's attached, attached to Jesus or something else. Right? Because it doesn't say that he comes and, and eliminates the sources of our distress. But he says that in our distress, right, it doesn't have to translate into despair. 
because Jesus, the Messiah, because God has put on flesh and joined us in the middle of it all. He says there's no end to his greatness, to his life, and to his hope, that Jesus brings hope to confront despair. And then verse two, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I, I don't know if you can relate to, to that at all, but I can. Like I've had different moments in my life of relational or emotional or, or even spiritual darkness where it just kind of felt lost, where it just felt like I was sort of grasping around in the dark, trying to find the answers. And I don't know how to get out of this mess. I don't know how to fix. I don't know how to make sense of. And Isaiah says that Jesus actually brings hope to conquer darkness. My, uh, my in-laws have some timeshares in, in Hawaii on a couple of different islands, and, and we would never, ever get to go except um, they take us along. We kind of tag along on their trips sometimes. And, and so um, a few years ago, we were on the island of Kauai, and we, um, there's a, on one side of the island, there's a giant underground cave that was a massive lava tube uh, back when uh, it was an active volcano. So you can go down in there and, you know, you go down with a guide and, uh, you know, you got to put the helmets on and you got lights and everything because as you sort of make your way down into, it sort of bends off to the right. And as soon as you bend around, you would think that because right around over there, there's an opening to the light that it would be plenty of light. But as soon as you bend around, I mean, it is the most crazy darkness uh, I have ever experienced. And so we kind of walked through, it was just a sh massive cavernous cave and we're sort of making our way around and sort of checking stuff out. And then we got really far in there and the guy said, okay, everybody, we're gonna turn off our lights just to kind of experience the darkness for a second. So we all turned off our lights and it was the most incredibly overwhelming, isolated, it was disorienting. I felt like I was gonna fall down all of us. I was like, I just lost my ability. And then we'd like turn it back on real quick. And, and, and it was so disorienting and cold and lonely and paralyzing and overwhelming. And isn't that what darkness does to us, right? It, isn't that, it, 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 it's confusing. And, you know, we just immediately start to sort of like just, shrink down and withdraw into ourselves. And, and, and that is the picture that Isaiah is painting. And he's saying, those living in the land of darkness, those walking and experiencing deep, Jesus brings his light and his love and he brings a life and he brings hope and he brings joy and he brings peace and love into those moments to light up our darkness. Into the darkness of our lives, a great light has dawned. And then in verse six, he says, to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, he didn't just come to confront despair or conquer the darkness. It, 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 he came for humanity. He came for you and me. It was about us, that Jesus comes to bring hope and to comfort humanity. See, whoever you are, whatever your story, the breathtaking reality this morning is that Jesus came for you, that he was born, that he lived his life, and he gave his life, he died and was resurrected so that you and I could have life. Isaiah was careful to say, to us a son is born, to us a son is given. 
and all the fullness of his wisdom and counsel and him, his strength as the mighty God and his never ending love as your heavenly father and his transcendent peace as the prince of peace that he's leveraged it all for you and for me and he makes it available and gives it to you and me this morning for our life. See, here's the truth. Christmas by itself cannot handle the full weight of your expectations, but Christ can. We're gonna go into it with all these and I hope and we can experience and wouldn't it be cool and, and we always and we get to celebrate and we need the joy and the happiness and the, it's fine. You can have all of that. I'm gonna have all of that. But, but if you're resting the full weight of your expectations, the full weight of your hope that we're gonna have somehow turn this thing around that this year's been so hard, but Christmas, it, like, it, it can't handle the weight of that kind of expectation. But Jesus can. That's why he came. Throughout history, the people of God lived with this sense that God was there, that he was there to help them and to love them and to lead them. And there was incredible hope in that, that God was there. But they also lived with this hope that, that there was coming a day when God wouldn't just be there, that he'd be here. That one day God would take on flesh and that the Savior would be born. And that's the beauty and the heart and the hope of Christmas, that love has come into the world, that God is with us. So your Christmas might be awesome, but I have to tell you, as the bearer of bad news, there aren't any guarantees. You know how I know? Because everybody was certain coming into 2020, we're so excited to see 2019 go. You can kiss it, 2019. Woo! 2020, 2020 vision. This is the year. Yeah! And then April, and then May, and then June. And people are like, 2020 is the worst. So your Christmas might be awesome. But there's also not any guarantees. But here's the incredible reality of Jesus. Is that you can anchor your life to him. And you can live a life of faith and of hope that cannot be taken away. And that cannot be extinguished. That, can't, that you can't be robbed from. That, that there is something you can plant your life in. And no matter what happens between now and January 1st, 2021. That you have something to celebrate. Someone to celebrate. Something to hold on to. So one of the things that I want to invite you to do with me this Christmas season is just a simple and practical way to kind of realign our hearts with the reality that God is with us, that God and the God who's with us is more than enough, is that we just find time every single day to slow down and pray this simple prayer. I, I, you can write it on your hand, you can put it in your phone, you can take a picture of the slide, but, but every single day, what if we just decided that we're gonna pray this prayer? God, I'm thankful that I don't need blank and you insert whatever you want us to put in that blank. I don't need blank to go my way to experience your hope, but I'm gonna trust you to graciously give me whatever I need right now to grow closer to you. God, I'm thankful I don't need all this stuff to go my ways in order to have hope. I'm gonna trust you today to graciously give me whatever I need right now to experience your love and your life 
and your hope and to grow closer to you. Can you imagine if you and the people in your life, even your kids, like to the level that they understand that you sat down and you prayed this with them every single day? Can you imagine if your husband or your wife or your parents or your kids or the people you love, if we all started praying this every single day, wouldn't, wouldn't it change something? Isn't it possible it would change more than just a little something? See, God, God has a way of surprising us with what we actually need in place of what we originally wanted. God gave Mary what she needed in the place of what she wanted. He gave Joseph what he needed in the place of what he wanted. He gave the world what it needed in the place of what it wanted. And he gives to you what you need in place of what you want. Let's pray together.